When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of the Lord. Our very first trip to Israel, we just bought into one of those package tours, not knowing exactly what we were supposed to do. And we found out that we were to fly into Tel Aviv and be immediately driven to Jerusalem. And I knew that was all backward. It all ended in Jerusalem. You don't start in Jerusalem, you end in Jerusalem. So after that time, I said, no, we're not going to start in Jerusalem. We're going to end in Jerusalem. We're going to start at Tel Aviv and go up the coast and go to Jesus' boyhood home of Nazareth and across to the Sea of Galilee where his ministry was performed to be at Capernaum on the Mount of Beatitudes and so on. Then we will go to Jerusalem right at the end. I've always watched to see what site seemed to bring forth the most emotion of our travelers. And I've wondered if it would be the Church of the Nativity at the spot where Jesus is supposed to have been born in Bethlehem, or would it be the garden tomb the Anglicans have maintained so beautifully well there in Jerusalem, or the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where other religious groups believe he was actually uh, crucified and buried. But I've been amazed at how many people are emotionally moved by the experience at the Church of All Nations. When we finally get to Jerusalem, and the bus stops at the top of the little hill called the Mount of Olives, and you walk down a curvy road, a walkway, that Jesus once rode the burro that Sunday morning upon Sunday. And then you go, go into the church, and you're told that this outcropping of rock just down in front of the altar there, we believe this is the very spot, they say, where Jesus knelt the night that he was betrayed. Uh, how tired he must have been this long week of Passover, constant confrontation in the city of Jerusalem. And now he's asked his disciples to pray with him, and they've all gone to sleep. They've all gone to sleep, and we finally are there at this point. We know that 18 hours from this point, Jesus will be dead, hanging on a Roman cross. And I think the humanity really comes forward. He really was like us. He really didn't want to die. He certainly didn't want to be crucified. He was like us, like us. Well, let's look at this passage today. As disciples are now running away from him rather than toward him. First of all, you note, when they heard this, and what they had just heard was his saying, I'm the bread that's come down from heaven, they were troubled about it. It's this word, uh, gungizo again, gungizo. I told you about it about three weeks ago. If these people were going to the synagogue every Friday night, they were hearing the Torah read through every year, all five scrolls every year, And they were hearing it in Greek for the past 300 years. They'd been hearing it in Greek. And so here's the word for the Israelites out in the desert with Moses. 
They whined and complained and whined and complained. Well, it was better in Egypt than this. He's brought us out here to die with nothing to eat and nothing to drink. And suddenly they've forgotten 400 years of enslavement. Well, Jesus is aware that they're grumbling, mumbling, murmuring, complaining. Different translators use different words. They're all in there. Whining, we would probably say. He knew them. Now, you know that in the lectionary, for every Sunday of the Christian year, there's a text from one of the Gospels, a text from one of the epistles. Dr. Kroll read that to us a few minutes ago. And there's always a text from the Hebrew Scriptures. And one lection appropriate for today is the 139th Psalm, translated for us, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. But I no longer deal with Old Testament passages without reading the rabbi's translation called the Tanakh. And in the Tanakh it says, O Lord, thou hast examined me and know me. I know that word, examine. You know that word? I chair the Board of Pensions and Health Benefits for all the Methodist preachers in Oklahoma. So I try to set a good example by being as healthy as I know how to be. So already this year, I've had my teeth examined more than once. I've been to my urologist already. I've been to the dermatologist. Uh, I've been to my primary care physician. That was just a few weeks ago. I was to come a week early and they drew blood and Gave you one of the little cups you have to fill. And the next week I was to come back and now be examined. And so I was ushered into the examining room and the nurse said to me, you need to take off your clothes now and put on this little robe. So I first put it on backward, which I think is the way you're supposed to do. And I couldn't get it tied, so I turned it around. That was worse. So I put it back again, you know. And when he got through, I felt examined. (laughs) But notice how this psalm ends. You have examined me, O Lord, and you know me, and you've decided I am wonderfully made so that my lips burst forth in praise to you. I am wonderfully made. But there will come a time, of course, when I too will hear those sad words of a test not being good, results not being good. And I will be reminded, you too will return to dust and ashes from which you came. And I want to know that the God who's been with me all the other days will be with me that day as well. Number two. Jesus said, has what you just heard offended you? Now, the word in Greek is scandalon, and it carries over into English, scandal. So we would probably better say, have have these words you've just heard, that I'm the bread come down from heaven, scandalized you? How much more are you going to be scandalized when I die on a Roman cross, when I go back to the place from which I came? Will this scandalize you? What are you hearing? Rodney Clapp is an editor with Brazos Press, and he's recently written about his grandmother. 
Had his grandmother been a widow for several years when suddenly another man came into her life, Mr. Bob, and he said they were sort of a mixed pair. My grandmother's hearing had gotten worse and worse, and Mr. Bob could hardly see. He said one night my brother had taken the two of them out to eat dinner, and said they had just barely gotten their menus and were looking at them when another fellow came over to the table and talked to the two of them, and they carried on a little conversation. Then he left. And Mr. Bob said, who was that? I couldn't see him. And my grandmother said, I don't know. What did he say? (laughs) And then Rodney Clapp said, I had an illness recently, an infection in my ear and my eardrum burst, and I had to have a hearing test. And when my test was over, the technician said I'd done really well. And I said, oh, good. I can tell my wife and daughter that I do not have a hearing problem. And she said, there's a difference between hearing and listening. What are you hearing? What are you hearing when I say to you, I am the bread that's come from heaven? Number three, so many of the disciples start to leave They've come to him in great numbers. They just want to touch him or be touched by him. Now he's talking about flesh and blood and living and dying, and they start disappearing. Will you also leave me? Who's in? Who's out? He's talking about the kingdom of God. Who's in? Who's out? One of the places one sees in Israel, the place where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, it's in the desert right down near the Dead Sea. The Essenes, you see, were one of those groups with whom Jesus had to contend. They do not mention him. They for sure were not followers of Jesus. Because listen at what they also found along with the Dead Sea Scrolls produced by this Essene community that died out centuries ago. They had written about themselves, all the wise men of the congregation, the learned, the intelligent men, whose way is perfect, men of ability, the men of renown. And then they listed who's out. By the way, women and children, you notice, aren't even mentioned. No man smitten in his flesh or paralyzed in his feet or hands or lame or blind or deaf or dumb or smitten in his flesh with a visible blemish. No old and tottery man unable to stay still in the midst of the congregation. None of these shall come among the congregation of the men of renown. How does that compare to what Jesus said? Jesus said, when you give a banquet... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. What he's saying is, you're in unless you choose to be out. Will you be in or will you choose to leave me and be out? Number four. In the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke... It's Simon at Caesarea Philippi who first says, you are the Messiah of God. John puts it in a different setting, puts it here in this very place. Will you also leave me? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter says, it's Simon, you see, jumps forward. And then he says, we have come to believe and know And old Dr. Raymond Brown, who taught studies from the John community, the Johannine community, it's called, all those many years said, what the word really means is we have come to believe and are convinced you are the Holy One of God. Dr. Rudolf Bultmann said, 
You see what's being asked? Can a man who will die on a Roman cross be the authentic revealer of Almighty God? Can you come that far? If you can, you can have life, life abundant, life everlasting. Dr. Fred Craddock has written about growing up back in the Great Depression. His family owned a little farm, and they eventually lost it. His mother cooked all their meals on a wood-burning stove. They had no electricity, no running water, not many toys with which to play. So he said his two brothers, his sister and he, often played hide-and-seek if they had a little time. He said one afternoon, it was my sister's turn to be it. I said, you remember how this game is played? Somebody's it. That person hides his or her eyes, counts to a hundred. Everybody else runs to hide. And then it has to go and find somebody and outrun that somebody back to the base. And then that one becomes it. Well, he said, it was my sister's turn to be it. She hid her eyes and started to count. I was little, he said, little enough to get under the porch. Not only under the porch, I was small enough to get under the steps that led up to the porch. And I got way back deep under the steps. Surely enough, she got to a hundred. Ready or not, here I come, she said. She walked right past me. I started snickering, he said. I was afraid I'd snicker so loudly she'd hear me. So I was muffling my snicker. She went all the way out to the, to the barn, came back, hadn't found any of the three boys. So she went down to the corn crib, came back, hadn't found anybody, went inside the house, looked around, came out, she hadn't found anybody, and all of a sudden it hit me. She may never find me. (laughs) And so I stuck a big toe out from under the side of the steps, and then a little more of my foot, and she said, I saw you, Fred, and she went running. And I was glad, he said. I learned something important that day. I never wanted to be unfound. 